I invite you to remain standing a moment longer for this morning's reading from the Gospel. I'll be reading from the Gospel according to Luke, the fourth chapter, verses 21 through 30. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, Do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months. And there was a severe famine over all the land, yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up drove him out of the town and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What a day it must have been there in Nazareth. The folks there in Nazareth, the the town that Jesus had grown up in, the town that had put a claim on this Jesus whom they were hearing from around the countryside was, was doing marvelous things. Oh, how they must have been excited to hear that He was coming home, finally. You ever been in the midst of a group that was excited about someone's homecoming? Excited about someone coming back that's been gone a while? Especially getting excited about someone's notoriety, if you will. As it sure seems Jesus was experiencing as He has left Capernaum doing great and mighty things and coming back home. The crowd knows Him. And He knows the crowd. But they're about to experience something that they hadn't counted on. You know, I, I, I wonder so often when we have those notable people from our midst, people that grow up in our hometown, people who go off, let's talk about some of the success Decatur ISD has had with their athletics in the last few months, right? I mean, we saw a volleyball state championship, right? Cross country. Our football team got close. Look at what the basketball team's doing. Look at the hope we have in the bay. Look at all of this. And it's like every time we just grow to expect it again. That's that's what's going to happen. And I think those folks there in Nazareth, having heard who Jesus was, having this kind of expectation that He's our home guy, He is going to come back and do these great and mighty things for us. After all, we're the hometown. We... We have this expectation. 
I like to think that who we see here in today's passage of Scripture, I like to think of this as assertive Jesus. Has anybody ever thought about Jesus in a number of different ways? Assertive Jesus here. He is asserting this kind of anointing the hometown folks of God, but He's not taking them where they want. But He is assertive in how He's doing this. At least that's the way I hope to have read that to you as I read today's text. Albert Schweitzer says that Jesus is but a reflection of ourselves. In other words, Schweitzer is saying we kind of envision Jesus in our own ways. We, we kind of think of Jesus in the ways that we want to. And so maybe you haven't been thinking about assertive Jesus today, but I think each and every one of us has this kind of image of Jesus, and, and we make it a sacred image. We're, we're not seeing Jesus wearing flip-flops normally out on the, uh, the, the, the beach there on the Sea of Galilee. That's not the sacred Jesus. We might think of Him from time to time relaxing in that way. But in the sacred kind of image of Jesus, we have our own understandings, especially here in the western part of the, the world, what we call the West. Some of us, our image may be this. I think every church I've stepped foot into, probably somewhere in some nook, cranny, Sunday school class, fellowship hall, has one of these, if not a bigger one. And this was some person's understanding and picture of who Jesus is. Their conception. But I think if we were to, to look for historical Jesus, one who might be more authentic to the, to the time and the place where he lived and died, that place, uh, the Holy Land where he did ministry, I think we would begin to see Jesus maybe in a little different way if we were open to that. If we allowed our sacred kind of image to be challenged. For instance, they say that Jesus would probably have only been about five foot eight. Not Hollywood Jesus. Not this fair-skinned, blue-eyed sometimes guy that can grow a gorgeous lock of hair. But five foot eight, olive-complected, darker-complected as a, as a Middle Eastern Palestinian man of that day would have looked. Darker eyes. Yes, likely a beard and maybe even likely the longer hair. But certainly not that image of that picture or likely the image that you think of when you think of who Jesus is. And if we can get to that point, some of us have trouble then worshiping the image of the historical Jesus that I just suggested to you because He's so different. He's so radically different from our own self-conceived image Granted, we, we make that a sacred image in our heart and mind, but we struggle, we find it difficult to, to let ourselves worship somebody who might look like that. Jesus came back home, and a lot was expected out of Him. And what we see if we read the preceding passages of Scripture that were not a part of today's election, we would see that, as custom, Luke says Jesus went to the synagogue to worship. It's the Sabbath. And Jesus knows that's a priority. That's where He's going. And when He goes into the Sabbath, somebody hands Him Scripture to read. And Jesus opens up that scroll, Isaiah, Scripture for the people to hear, the truths of God, and He begins to read. 
And I'm not going to reread what he read to them that day, but when he has finished reading the truth of God for them that day, he rolled up the Scripture, he gave it back, and he sat down. Now, he didn't sit down to listen because the tradition of the day was after the reading of the Scripture, the preacher, who, by the way, had to be a man, young, courageous, answering the call, Mariah, would not have been welcome to not only read the text of the day, much less to sit down and then to begin to preach to the crowd. But that is what Jesus said. Now the things that upset the crowd, because I hope that you sense that there was a, a beginning to turn against Jesus because they had their expectation. After all, this is, uh, this is God's favor. We, we are the privileged people. Did, did God not say, I want you to be my people? Is this not my expectation? Does this not give us the privilege over the rest of the people? All these Gentiles that live around us, are we not the privileged people to receive the love of God? And it wasn't so much about the today. I think they were okay with the today. I think the people of the time, the people there in Nazareth were ready for the change to begin, for them to start experiencing the privilege of being God's people. But Jesus gives them a couple of proverbs to consider. First off, doctor, cure yourself. And Jesus is not going to fall prey to that. He knows that no prophet is going to be welcome in their hometown. But then he begins to tell them uh, about uh, the other uh, proverb, and, and he is not going to fall prey to that one as well that they want to use. He tells them the story about Elijah and Elisha and how these folks that they encountered in their prophetic roles did not receive a blessing because they were Jewish or part of God's people. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells about Elijah going to one woman in a three and a half year period while other women were starving. Jesus goes to the, to the one woman who's not of the privileged group and feeds her. And then he says that, that Elisha went to Naaman, the Syrian, who was clearly not of the chosen people, and he heals him. So it's not in the notion that today it's happening, although this is now Jesus as well as being assertive Jesus. He's saying that this blessing that God has is for people that are not of privilege, not of the in crowd, not of the people that are already here. God's blessing is for the Gentiles the people who don't look like we do, the people who don't talk like we do, the people who have different customs than we do, the people who live their lives differently than we do. This is who God is, is blessing so that they too might become a part of God's people. So in Jesus' first hometown sermon, the crowd begins to shift in its acceptance of what Jesus is doing. It puts them at odds of who Jesus is in Scripture. This assertive Jesus who's now the now Jesus, who is now in their crosshairs and they want to run Him out of town, not just to get rid of Him, to send Him on to the next town. They want to lead Him up to the cliff and throw Him off so He can't spread those kinds of truth, scriptural truth, that comes out of His mouth and out of His heart 
and out of His mission and purpose that God has sent into the world. They didn't want to understand Scripture as Jesus was revealing to them, and so they were willing, at the risk of excluding themselves from God's blessing, they wanted to exclude Jesus because they thought they had a better understanding. So often we have opportunities. Corey Ten Boom, uh, who wrote The Hiding Place, uh, her experiences of herself, her family, those whom she knew, those whom she put everything on the line for during World War II. Corey Ten Boom, uh, a Christian uh, young girl from a Christian family, rescued countless Jews who faced deportation and certain death uh, in the concentration camps of Nazi Germany. Corrie ten Boom, uh, her family was ultimately arrested, and and while she was at Ravensbrück concentration camp, a a camp just a little bit north of Berlin, a camp where over time 96,000 people perished, at least 96,000, 700 a day were either starved to death or killed. Corrie ten Boom said, "We, we followed as we understood Jesus called us. And even Corey Ten Boom lost family members. Her, her sister starved to death. Her sister went from being young like she was to watching her age to an older woman and eventually starved to death. You know, Jesus may not ever expect us to lay down our lives, but if we can't get beyond our own perceptions, our own conception of who Jesus thinks we need to be, if we can't be open to, to assertive Jesus, to to now Jesus, to to the Jesus who sometimes says things that we might gasp at. Oh, Herod, that fox, name-calling Jesus. Or the Jesus who shocks us the way He treats the Syrophoenician woman who just wanted to gather crumbs under a table. But if we open ourselves up to the now Jesus who says, the time is now for you to act you know, in the news this weekend, starting last week, uh, had a, a political figure being accused of uh, being seen in a, an old yearbook wearing blackface. Those claims are, are, are uh, maybe, maybe you're thinking, I've had enough of those. Isn't there something else? But you see, for some in our society, we haven't done enough yet so that their pain can be shared. It's easy for people of privilege like the people there in Nazareth to have expectations because we know this guy. And remember as I said earlier, yeah, but he knows you too. And he knows what you need. And so in these systems that we experience today, there are people that still hurt. There are people that have been hurt by sexual assault, by simple things that start as flirtations. And if we don't allow people to share their pain with us, if we don't allow ourselves to be seen as part of the privilege that may have at one point condoned that behavior, then we miss the point of this Jesus who calls us to be the now, to hear in the now. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a letter from the Birmingham Jail in Birmingham. That's the title of the letter, the letter from Birmingham Jail. And there were a number of white church leaders, pastors, who saw what King wrote, had heard some of his sermons, and far too many of them said, 
Give it time. Wait. Give it some time. Time helps to heal. And what somebody who has been on the other side of that fence, in this particular case, someone of color says the word wait is so hurtful. Just wait. Waiting is too much burden for those who are oppressed. It's one of the last things they want to hear. Just wait. Let time heal that. And we know time has its way of healing. Probably everybody in here can experience or or share that. But when you are facing constant oppression, that is one of the worst things that we can do. Justice delayed is too long. Justice delayed ends up in being justice denied. And as these folks pushed Jesus out of town to stop him from spreading that anymore, any other place, they had in mind to end his life. We know the story goes on. That's not where Jesus' life ended. And we know that beyond the cross and the grave that Jesus' life hasn't ended. And it is Jesus who gives us hope. It's the Jesus of now. And so... Don't do like we do to so many people as people of privilege we are to simply say wait. Wait almost means never. Think about that. Wait almost means never to many, many people. People whom we are working on liking, if not loving. People whom we are working with together to make our world a better place. But as long as we see ourselves occupying a place of privilege and believing that Jesus looks like this and like no other, as long as we exclude others and make them fit our form of faith, our our pattern of faith, our, our love of God, and we don't allow God to love them as God chooses to love them, then we are wrapped up in that sin. And I'm so thankful that today, the day when that lection, that tough teaching, that story of Jesus being the now Jesus comes to us, we have an opportunity to come to our Lord's table. A table where we are assured Jesus is present, where Jesus is love and the hope that He brings into this world and the promise to be with us till the end of the age where all of this is made real as we receive God's gift of love to us today. I'm thankful for many of you who are willing to hear, to allow your heart to hear some of what I've said today, some of the things that God has put on my heart. Because I, like you, claim to be people of change. I think that's part of what it means to be a Christian. Not that we figured it all out. Not that we've got it all sewed up and in the bag. Not that our salvation is banked. But I think God wants us to be different and to be willing to see others as beloved children of God just as we are. Because none of us are without sin. None of us are not broken. None of us don't need God's love. And so I hope and I pray that in the now Jesus... The now Jesus that we saw today, that we know of today, that He will be a part of our lives, not just today, but perhaps tomorrow and next week and next year, so that we are a part of God's love 
transforming love, bringing that kind of love into a world that needs to have Christians proclaiming and living a love that turns the world upside down. And it starts here with us. So don't be excluded by being one who excludes. Find yourself in the heart of Jesus and allow Jesus to be in your heart. In the name of the Father, and in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.